very welcome to World in Union, Balls.ie's weekly rugby show with me, Mick McCarthy, alongside Morris Brosnan. Each week we look for an outside perspective on Irish rugby and indeed the game itself. This week we're going to talk about the Six Nations through the prism of the November Internationals, talk about who's up, who's down, look at some of the other teams. We're going to specifically talk about Wales. We're going to talk to Ben James from Wales Online. They won four out of four. They're on their best run of test wins, nine in a row um, since 1999, I think it is. So, um, unbelievable run for Wales there. We'll get to all that. We'll get to talk about the other teams, the other games in November Internationals. But, Morris... Last night we were celebrating as Johnny Sexton won World Player of the Year, Joe Schmidt World Coach of the Year, Ireland World Team of the Year. We've beaten New Zealand. We're number two in the world. We're almost number one. Nothing could possibly go wrong. Oh, we we knew it was in the back of our heads. We knew there was possibly bad news awaiting us today, but the bad news really came, and I have to say it's hit me like a ton of bricks. Joe Schmidt will no longer be coach of Ireland after the World Cup in Japan. Um, Andy Farrell will be taking over that job which I think is a good thing it's good that there's no messing around we're not on a FAI like search for a new coach or anything like that but yeah just a kick in the arse this yeah, morning isn't like it it's nice that there's a succession plan and it's nice yeah. that it's come after a phenomenal year and a year when you know this kind of unprecedented success but it still doesn't take away from the fact that we're losing that, an incredible asset to Irish rugby and like the there's you know the silver lining in the fact that Leinster continued their success afterwards, but there's still no, it took them a couple of years. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, but like there still is there's something to be said for it's and this applies to when we're talking about you know the sex and thing or even like we frame everything around a World Cup and like what what's going to happen in 2018 and that would probably define how we look at this year in eventually, but like right now when you take stock of what Josh Smith has achieved, it's phenomenal. Like it's it's been an extraordinary level of success what he's done for Irish rugby as a whole. You know like this in terms of development of players like last week he'd 18 years in training with them like the likes of Prendergast from Munster and these the his overarching view of development of rugby and how he's going to has been phenomenal and it's kind of given fruit to this extraordinary success that we've enjoyed this year so it, it's it's just a massive shame that we're going to lose that and that it, that, it, that it leaves away absolutely a completely one of a kind character and just somebody that I think just has so much uh, like as you said like an, an kind of an overarching look at the whole thing yeah. it's not just a specific but also like the in-depth coaching that he does of players and, and making them better and like you know we've talked ad nauseum about the Stockdale try and how that was a move taken from the Mitre 10 yeah. in uh, in New Zealand 20 years ago or whatever and all that like I mean he's this guy is just an encyclopedia of rugby and knows how to teach players how to be and that person just doesn't come along all the time they just don't he's he he is the best coach we've ever had and it's not just because he's the most studious or anything like that he's also just one of those people that's kind of perfect coach in every way he's he's a perfect man manager he's a perfect um big picture guy he and also he's a he's a he's very very good at getting his incredible knowledge of rugby over to the individual and the team make that work look, we could be in here mourning forever and, like, you know, it, it isn't good news. And to be honest, we don't know what Joe's going to do. He, he, he says he's leaving for family reasons. It doesn't look like he's going into another rugby job, definitely from his statement, but, like, we definitely wish him the best. And I don't think Joe Schmidt, no matter what happens in the next 12 months, owes us anything no. um, after what he's done for Irish rugby. But... Given what I said there and all those various different, you know, Plus aspects points, that yeah. Joe Schmidt brings to a rugby culture, does does it all fall apart? 
I'm, like, in 2020? When we talk about the, the big picture, you don't just talk about that in terms of player development of players or in terms of squad depth. You talk about that in terms of like on field. So like we spoke about that play there. The Josh Smith is a guy who doesn't plan to use a really creative play. Like he plans to score a try. Like the, it's the implication of everything he does. Like yeah. everything that big picture apl- is applicable to everything, and you can't really replace that. You, you can't necessarily that kind of foresight. Like you can bring in a guy like Andy Farrell who commands an incredible deal of respect, and even like Lawrence Delaggio wrote his column yesterday in the Times that even when Andy Farrell was a sub with them with, with England, yeah. he commanded a huge amount of respect in the dressing room. Like what he did, he's the a way rugby he spoke. league legend at yeah. the time. Like yeah, like, and the yeah. uh, kind of his force of figure like that kind of I don't think you lose that kind of cult of personality that somebody like like Schmitt seems to really have that bit of aura certainly amongst players so I don't think you lose that but you do lose a phenomenal rugby brain and that like that there is a betting in process that yeah. how that carries over and also there's just like there's the implications of this like if we, we as you said we don't know what Schmidt does next but if Hansen announces in December that he leaves New Zealand he's a contender whether he wants to be or not yeah, and if he, he'll be talked about for sure precisely yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and if he is a contender like that the consequences of that are like all of a sudden that we start worrying about a guy like Greg Feek the scrum coach do we lose him as well yeah. he's also like the there are implications beyond just this kind of announcement so they're like the it's great to have a succession plan and it's great that they've got it tied up early but th- there, there's things that hap- need to happen beyond that like you need somebody somebody's going to have to come in and coach the attack like is that yeah. Lancaster or another thing I'd else? worry about a little bit is who is is Andy Farrell and, and look Andy Farrell is someone that I think we're all quite happy that he's mm-hmm. been appointed yeah. here there's no it, it, we're not saying he's Joe Schmidt but he also hasn't been in the position to become Joe Schmidt yet but another part I'd worry about is that Joe Schmidt had a very kind of a Bill Belichick kind of outlook on, on Irish rugby is yeah. that he kind of ran everything and it was like IRFU left him do it because they trusted him but like does Farrell do that does Farrell get Joey Carberry out for lunch and say here dude move to Munster this is what works for everybody in this scenario including you I know you don't want to do it but this it's going to work out well it's going to get you in my team and it's going to help Irish rugby as a whole. And yeah. that's your duty. And it's my duty to have that sense that I need to be kind of basically running the provinces as well. Yeah. You know, and does Andy Farrell have that in him? Is he going to be let do that? Because that's a big leap of faith from the IRFU to be putting kind of like the entire structure in somebody's in one person's hand. But Joe was the person that just it was like a no-brainer that he would be doing that if yeah. he wanted to be, you know? And, like, I, there are a few of us, like, constant assurances that they're in a really good place to plan for this yeah. eventuality. And, and I'm sure they are. Like, I'm sure... Yeah, we couldn't Moore keep has, them forever has, has either, yeah. In, yeah, and as we, like, as we said, elsewhere, like, the, there was a slight drop-off at Leinster, but they managed to, you know, reconvene. I think we will too. Like, and there's also the, the framework that he has established. Like, he established a, a standard in terms of skill set in terms of strengthening and conditioning in terms of your, your general fitness just in, t- in terms of your conduct like your, your discipline on the field that's all that's all driven by Joe like the, the, we, and players have told us about his drills in terms of like bringing in referees to be incredibly harsher than they are on the field like mm. he, the, the likes of uh, John Murphy or things, people like this and the, the only reason they're there John Lacey sorry the only reason they're there is that these are the kind of things that, again planning for eventualities on the field like so the, these are all the, uh, as a standard he's raised the bar for Irish rugby and I guess the implication is that whoever comes in next needs to maintain that. Yeah. Any worries for the Six Nations and World Cup to come? I I I I really hope this doesn't become a, a narrative for yeah. those two tournaments. I th- like I think like it w- it won't become a narrative in Wales when Warren Gatlin leaves. It won't become a narrative in New Zealand if Steve Hansen leaves. I don't think we should apply like the the succession plan is there. The players know that Joe has given everything or Joe Schmidt sorry has given yeah. everything in terms of that and they like they're. 
their 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 commitment isn't based off Joe Schmidt. Coach, they're, they're, of they're not. They're not. They're not. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. So the the idea that they would, that and would for be themselves and for a World Cup and yeah. so I, I hope that doesn't become a, like an explanation for if they're like. It can be though, it, like, and and I I agree with you actually, and I don't think it will be because, and I'll I'll say why in a minute. But I'm just just to get, play devil's advocate for a minute. It isn't uh, players won't try their best or anything like that. It is a sense of disillusionment that one person might mean so much to them, and it might be a sense of belief that they think, even if it's very deep down in their subconscious, that their abilities, current abilities, their current um, form is down to one person and one person alone and that is his, all the things that I mentioned that Joe does a few minutes ago that can seep into you and that can between disillusionment lack of confidence whatever it might be that can seep down now what I think won't happen is I think that Joe Smith is such a good coach that that won't happen I think that he'll get that message across to the players I also think the players will know that look this is one last run we've got a full year here with the best coach that we'll ever play for. Yeah. And let's do him proud because I think that they love him and he's moving on for his own personal reasons that I don't think are rugby related. I, I don't think he's moving on to a better rugby situation. I don't think he's abandoning these players for another rugby team. So I think that they will wish him nothing but the best and will want to do it even more for him. I think it actually could kick us on. Yeah, and, and you like know, that's my hope anyway. There's, there's something to be said as well for like the whatever about like the cult of the coach. Like there's there's some really kind of strong figures in the dressing room who would carry that. Like the likes of Peter Matney or Cedar Sander would have experienced an incredible transition at Munster, and like they the, the way they conducted themselves there was really kind of admirable in terms of how, like not letting standards drop off and really kind of driving on and setting template. And the same thing with like the likes of Johnny Sexton and stuff at Leinster. Like there's been a real kind of emphasis on those kind of figures of leadership like within a dressing room and I, I think the, there'll be kind of certain th- that's the thing like the the consequence of this is that everybody's going to have to assume a slight bit more of a mantle when the eventual transition comes yeah. but the the fact that it's been put to bed and that there's a transition I think kind of puts us in a, like I don't think we're in a weaker place now than we were yesterday planning it for the next 12 months I think the, yeah, where it's 2020 the, that's so the issue yeah, that's yeah. where the consequence comes yeah. in yeah. and we have to start thinking very soon then about what the succession plan is for Andy Farrell and that needs to like I really do think that's the RFU's big job now is because they've made a decision on Farrell I think we all agree and it. it's a really good one I'm glad that Farrell is committed enough to actually to, to, to stay in Ireland that long because he's been a massive benefit for us and we shouldn't forget that but what we need now is and in my opinion it should be somebody Irish not because um, of any kind of nationalistic reason but because I think that we should always be thinking about like the next great coach that we should have th- that should be the pinnacle for them yeah so that they, they go when it's time for them to go not because somebody else comes in for them and I think that if you're looking I don't know if it's Ronan O'Gara I don't know if it's Paul O'Connell it's probably a little bit too early for him I don't know if it's who it is you know like there's there's a lot of coaches working around the world which is great but someone leo cullen perhaps you know but i think somebody needs to come into this system and, like, and i think that needs to be maybe it's maybe it's not they're not told here you're the next guy but it's someone who's been put in that position that if they do that job well it's a no-brainer we're fine here we go leo cullen's the next ireland coach and we're off to the races and we've got the next 10 years planned out and, and like what you would hope is that the this this umbrella that like we, it's been 
an understanding for the last kind of 12 months that Andy Farrell may have been slightly moulded by Schmidt for this role. That, that, that's the thing. Before him, it was Les Kiss. There was a good understanding. And yeah. you would hope that that, but the same process is being applied to people like Simon Easterby in the camp or people like Nigel yeah. Carroll. Someone like Nigel Carroll and the work he's done with the Ireland 20s and with Connacht or Dan McFarlane now that he's in Ulster. The, like really kind of strong Irish coaches have developed like really kind of keen understandings. Like you hope that the, like again, kind of moulding of like these head figures will extend across the board. Like a guy like Simon Easterby who could step up and do that after Farrell? Who can like step? Uh, whoever comes in, uh, we don't know who's gonna kind of take charge of the attack money stuff. There's been like I think Sir Lancaster is probably fair to say he's the favourite to come in and assume that role. So you you would have a reverse sort of what happened in England, which would be yeah. Farrell and Lancaster. But the those kind of coaches will hopefully will be kind of moulded towards that eventuality. Be, like it's imperative that you have strong Irish coaches because they're the, that, the consequence of that is that their loyalty is to Ireland. And yeah, that you won't be left in a situation where they might leave for a different job. Like. Uh, you know, does it hang over me a little bit that if Andy Farrell wins a Six Nations, that England say, this is our guy, this is your country, mate, come on, we got to do this. Andy Farrell's in an impossible situation yeah. there because he'll have a loyalty, he'll have been working with these players for a long time and that's your team. And I do, and I, like, I'm not taking that lightly, I'm not saying he's going to be off to England on the first boat, but because that you will, that's a serious thing. But at the same time, it's your country calling. You know, I'd like to think that if I was working somewhere else and if Ireland came looking for you, you'd say, that's me. We don't want to think that of other people. Sure. But it, it should be the case. Yeah. You almost, you, you would expect nothing else from them. But anyway, that's look for down the line. There's a hundred different possibilities here. Yeah. We've got another week of Joe. I, I'm sad, I have to say. I don't know whether, even if it's the right decision, even if it's time for a guy like Joe after as long as he's been involved with Leinster and Ireland to move on, regardless of personal circumstances. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it's like, you know, you don't want to hang around forever. But I think it's just, he's somebody that I feel that the Irish rugby and sporting public have a bit of a relationship with and very, very much like it, and other gentlemen as well. So I think it's just a pity, isn't it? Yeah, it's just like the... And again, as I said, I, I, we can frame this in whatever way, and there's going to be people talking about how like we're in a good place to cope after this, but at the same time, you do need to just like stop and take stock. like Stop just for a second, and like, at this point in your journey, you kind of recognise what he's done, uh, as I said, kind of across the board. And like the something as simple as like the going out to different schools or clubs and speaking and you know like anything I've been involved or from my own understanding he like he takes nothing for that like he, he does that out of his own personal mm -hmm. time yeah so that kind of stuff is just it, to lose a figure like that is a is a sad kind of consequence but uh, uh, as I said I'd, like at the end of the day it doesn't change anything from yesterday in terms of what, how we plan for the next time and I really hope it's, it doesn't become a like a, a narrative in terms of if anything was to if there was an underperformance in the Six Nations. I want to get on to our topic today of the looking at the Six Nations and how everybody got on over the course of November. Speak to Ben, who's waiting patiently. But mm. just before we do, actually, just a word on Johnny Sexton, uh, World Player of the Year, second Irish player to ever win it. We were worried last week whether you got it. It feels almost inconsequential now, if just a few hours later. But um, delighted for him. I was saying, I actually tweeted last night that I was on my stag in Madrid watching Ireland and France in For Paris the goal, and yeah. the drop goal and to talk about like something making a day and making a memorable well not not that memorable unfortunately but uh, <laughs> weekend of my life something that will always be that moment and it's like for that alone I think he deserves any award that he should be given but that was just like such a remarkable thing but his his level of consistency a little thing I want to if people haven't seen it is to check out Ron Nogara's tweet yesterday morning 
about um, basically his friendship with Johnny yeah. Sexton and how much he hoped that he would win tonight where he said that um, when he said that he was moving to New Zealand, um, you know, most people would text, 10% of people might even call, what did Johnny do? Pack the family into a car, 350 kilometer round trip to go and knock on his door to shake his hand and wish him well. And don't forget that these two who are, like, let's face it, best friends now, started off as absolute enemies yeah. in 2009 on the Irish team. And I just... Johnny Sexton keeps such a kind of a low profile and seems like this kind of serious robotic figure and that's his, that's the way he portrays himself and that's fine but that is an unbelievable story from O'Gara <laughs> like isn't it and to have that coming from someone like him you know it was just um, I'm so happy for Sexton I have to say oh I mean I like the we should stress he was by far the standout candidate like the, there was the yeah. competition like the this idea that it was going to be decided based off the New Zealand game that you you base it off the entire year, and he was by far the best player. And, he, and again, like the, it seems like this weird thing to celebrate, like over oh, the team of the year, but the player of the year. But like the for Sexton to be at the age he's in and the condition he's in, he's, he's only getting better. Like I think it's a triumph as a, as a career. It really shows the benefit of having central contracts. Like, yeah. The, when you see it, you got like Sexton and what, and what he can do, and yeah, like the we've got Welsh guys in the line who might not might necessarily <laughs> agree with that, but yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. And as he he's talking in Tom Brady terms, like he's if he's ready to go for another ten years, <laughs> you know. But let's see, let's see, let's enjoy him while we have him. We've we at least until the next World Cup, anyway. So we should get on to uh, our topic today, which is uh, looking at the Six Nations through the prism of the November internationals. And look, we know that Ireland did very well. We know Wales and England did very well. Wales in particular, um, England obviously lost to New Zealand. We know France were going very well. You talked about it last week, about how they look a real thing. What did they do at the weekend? We're France. Yeah, yeah they lost to Fiji, um, which is <laughs> the kind of thing that France do, unfortunately. But we'll talk a little bit more about them. Italy and Scotland, you know, Midland beat, beat Argentina, you know, which I think was the thing that they probably would have set out to do at the start of, at the, start of the, the month. And Italy, unfortunately, and hopefully we're not talking like this forever, are Italy. Yeah. Um, and not really much to say there, unfortunately. But um, Wales are the team that we do want to focus on first because they had an unbelievable run. They are um, they beat Australia and South Africa. They're four out of four. And they are now nine test wins in a row, which is their best run since 1999. Um, delighted to say we've got Ben James of Wales Online with us today. Um, ben, as we said there, an unbelievable run, best run in nearly 20 years. Um, it's been some turnaround in the last 12 months, hasn't it? Um, I think you've got to go back to probably the summer of 2017 and when Gatlin came back from the Lions. There's been a sort of clear decision to sort of grow depth in the squad and I think we've gone from using something like 26 players in the 2017 Six Nations to 36 players in the in last in this year's Six Nations, and we've used something like 60, 63 players in a, in a year and a half, capped 23 odd players, and you know we we we've grown depth which we've never had, and with with the game that Gatlin wants to play, which is you know it's 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 similar to Ireland and it's based based on efficiency. Um, having that many players who, who can sort of provide competition week in week out is just it's 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 pushed Gatlin's game and and, and the sort of the, the fitness aspect to it to, to a new level and that's that's what we're seeing at the minute yeah it's unbelievable the amount of new players that have been brought in and I think that's something that we see in Ireland I mean even you know for the, the Argentina game earlier in the years like that people can just kind of come in and come out and and play into a certain system and that system 
the defensive system in particular um, with, with, with Edwards, one try conceded to South Africa and Australia over the, over the course of the, the, two, the two games against them this November. Um, that defensive system looks like it's the envy of the, the rest of the world at the moment. Yeah, you know, um, we're certainly going to miss Sean Edwards when he goes back to rugby league next year. Um, it's, it, you can't, I can't think of a defensive coach who's been so consistently brilliant. If you mm. think of defensive coaches, you tend to sort of have a sort of expiration date where you know you 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 sort of coaching the same things week in week out, and it sort of loses effect and. But with Sean Edwards, he's managed to sort of reinforce that message for for a decade now, and it's 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 never really dropped, and that's that's a sort of incredible thing. We're, we're probably seeing it with with Andy Farrell as well at the minute, and they're, mm. they're, they're both really sort of pushing uh, defensive coaching to, to new levels. Yeah, the 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 rugby league influence on, on on Union hasn't quite gone away just yet, as, as much as we as much as it probably has, at least in an attacking sense, it's still very much to to the fore in in, in Union defense. Absolutely, yeah. You know, Sean Edwards' defensive thing is literally 13 men in a line, very defensive, uh, very uh, sort of um, tactical about when you enter the breakdown and then you just got one man in the backfield. So it is it is very much like rugby league, yeah. Ben, we probably, we watched that game on BBC over here and there was some interesting comments from Gatland after the game where he kind of, he touched on, uh, I think it was keyboard warriors was his quote. And, you know, like, Looking in from the outside, nine wins, you wouldn't expect to think. Has there been criticism forthcoming from Gatlin despite that? Um, it's, I think he was referring to keyboard warriors towards uh, Rob Howley and Robin yeah. McBride, who, who, to be fair, in, in the sort of last probably four or five years, they, they have been subjected to, particularly Rob Howley, have been subjected to a lot of sort of uh, abuse off those keyboard warriors. Um I think perhaps in this nine-match winning streak, there have still been the odd sort of dissent about how Wales are playing in attack, um, mm. which you know is a bit remarkable when you consider we hadn't beaten Australia in in you know ten years, and people are still complaining that we only scored nine points. But that's I think that's that's Welsh rugby, isn't it? It's boom or bust. I was going to ask you about that actually, because there is that sense, like you know, that maybe there there isn't the you know second half against Tonga maybe aside that there hasn't been that sort of like offensive flurry that we're used to seeing from Wales. But I'd almost look at it a different way. I think from from your point of view, being able to grind out results like in like um, myself and Morris were talking about it earlier, like an incredibly attritional game like Saturday to go and sort of just eke out like a comfortable enough win in the end is exactly where you want to be heading into what is ultimately a world cup year. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? And um, if you look back to the sort of best teams of Gatlin's era, you're probably going to look back to 2011, 2012, and it was a similar game plan then. Um, But the reason that we couldn't beat Australia back then is just because, you know, we played this attritional game and we tried to back our fitness, but when it came to the last 20, Australia were bringing on a better bench, than we could and, and it would be sort of fade and make mistakes in the last five minutes now we're able to bring on a stronger bench than they can and we're seeing that this attritional game still has value and it's you know now we've got the sort of strength and depth to, to make it work which perhaps some of Gatlin's best teams with Wales haven't yeah you touched on the game plan there like what, what would you put that down to we saw at the weekend for example uh, for Fra- Francis's try you know that kind of really clever 
move where Ellis Jenkins kind of throws his dummy, breaks the line, and then gives the offload afterwards. Like, would you put it down to you reference 2012, which is interesting? It's, this isn't quite, you know, Warren Ball, that kind of derogatory term, but is it close? It's not a million miles away from Warren Ball, to be honest. Um, okay. He sort of looked to la- last autumn, Wales sort of tried playing with Owen Williams at 12, sort of like a dual playmaker, sort of Ford Farrell axis thing. And the emergence of Hadley Park sort of changed that. And to be fair, Hadley Park's is. He's, he's a more sort of rounded player than Jamie Roberts, but he, he can take the short ball. So that's what he's been doing a lot recently. So, yeah, we are seeing a lot of that. Basically, Wales are just going to sort of try to be efficient, um, kick a lot. They, they don't like to go through phases. They like to back their defence and they'll look to sort of strike off set pieces and first phase ball. Um, Morris mentioned Ellis Jenkins there. Like, talk about a bit of rotten luck or whatever. This guy was kind of emerging over the course of a game in which he was a late replacement as being possibly a world beater, you know, like somebody that Wales are going to look to for a long time to come. And it looks like he's done his ACL. Is that is that what you're hearing? Yeah, I think he's having a scan today, but it, it does sound like it's going to be his uh, ACL, which is you know a massive shame. Um, I think he proved proved on Saturday that whatever Wales' best back row is, and there's a lot of depth there, he yeah. probably should be in it. So um, for that to happen in the last you know seconds is really unfortunate. It's just something, something similar happened to Jonathan Davis against Australia last year, and it took him the best part of the year to get back. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna, he, he, he could be back fit by the World Cup but it's going to be such he's going to have no rugby in him and it's going to be just hard to bring him at this stage but definitely one for the future and there is a lot of guys for the future one possibly not too much for the future but someone that I can't watch Wales without being absolutely blown away by every time is Alan Wynne-Jones who's like 120 caps now I think he won on Saturday um, still going probably stronger than ever it's funny for all the the youth we're talking about and all the strength and depth that we're talking about bringing through I don't know if um, if there's any team you know that that has more of a focal point than th- than this guy he's still like he's actually getting better is he yeah he is yeah, yeah. He, he's just in the same way that Paul O'Connell was he's just a talisman isn't he you, yeah you just you just want him it's in exactly who he'd remind you of yeah and um yeah, you know, like this this autumn, he's been fantastic. And in the last, you know, if you think you get to about 100 caps, that's probably when you start winding down. He's only got better in the last two years. He's he's developed the passing game, which, yeah. um, you know, is brilliant for an international lock to sort of be adding to, to, to your game at that at that stage of your career. Ben, you know, um, speaking of talisman, one of our own got recognised last night, which was Sexton in the World Player of the Year. And there was comments that came out of Wales earlier this year that definitely perked Irish interest, which was Ross Moriarty's idea that Sexton might get protection from the referee. Is that a train of thought that is prevalent in Wales? Um, I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 hard, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to say whether Ross Moriarty speaks for Wales or not. Of course, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I'd certainly be worried if he did, but... Um, <laughs> No, I'm sure there are sort of a lot of people who probably think that, but, um, you know, Johnny Sexton's a world-class player and um, he certainly gives as good as he gets, doesn't he? And if you compare him to someone, say, like uh, Owen Farrell, maybe Owen Farrell doesn't maybe sort of look for penalties in in, in such a way as as Johnny Sexton does, but, you know, I think all all number 10s are sort of targeted. That's... that's, um, that's how the game is going. and um, But yeah, I think Ross probably did step over the line when he sort of suggested that Sexton's getting preferential treatment because uh, 
you know, some some of the hits Johnny Sexton does take is well, it's it's, it's not in the law books, is it? Yeah. Yeah, a diplomatic answer. Actually, I'll talk to you about the, the Ireland-Wales rivalry and what's going on. Um, obviously, we've got that massive game in Cardiff to come. Hopefully, a massive game for for both countries. It'll be the last the last round of the Six Nations. But news this morning here that we've been talking about is that uh, Joe Schmidt is set to um, end his tenure as Ireland coach, possibly retiring from coaching um, after the World Cup. You, you guys are, are losing Gatland as well, so it's certainly going to be a massive transition for, for both countries. Um, as you know, as we're talking about, like basically two teams on the rise, possibly the two strongest teams in the Six Nations. Now, how do you think that will? Um, how do you think Welsh rugby fans and, and and journalists will react to 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 the news that Schmidt is going? Is it is he seen as the kind of the key to everything that's good about Ireland at the moment? Um, I think he's definitely been massive to the sort of shift we've seen in Irish rugby in the last eight years, but. Um, you know, I, I don't think we're, we're expecting the sort of the walls to burn down when he steps out the door, so to speak. Um, I think, you know, the infrastructure in Ireland is clearly, you know, brilliant. You only have to look at Leinster's success and, and what they're doing to sort of know that there, there's stable foundations there. So I think I think you're in, you're in safe hands uh, when Joe Schmidt does go. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Farrell goes. You know, it's, mm. it's a big sort of change for him to go from being a, world-class defensive coach to you know being a being a coach so whether he sort of becomes a delegator or sort of changes sort of the way he sees the game that'll be interesting but yeah um, we'll um what about then the six eight? You know, funny. I was what it was actually before the the South Africa game. It was just a thread on Twitter. I can't even remember who it came from, but there was Welsh fans basically being asked England game or Ireland game, which is the bigger deal at the moment. And obviously, England's everybody's enemy. It's always going to be the one you want to beat. But an overwhelming majority of Welsh fans, just in this very small little. Um, pool that i saw we're all basically saying ireland it's a bit in so for some of them it's now a bigger rivalry for some of them it's a um just a bigger game because ireland are, are ranked ahead and it's obviously the last round of the the championship i also heard i remember shane horgan talking on tv i think last year maybe the year before saying that for the irish players wales is now a bigger deal than 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 england like as in they those are the clashes that they've all come up on over the last kind of 10 years or so has that? Do you think that 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 the rivalry between Wales and Ireland has has grown kind of beyond both our sort of obsessions with England over the last few years? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that, I think that that Twitter thread was put up by a colleague of mine, and um, I'm pretty sure my editor said that England was still a bigger game. So uh, <laughs> uh, he decides. Uh, so I'll, I'll go against him on this one. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely for me, Ireland is is the bigger game. I think it's. There's a couple of factors, isn't there? You know, obviously, you've got Gatland, who's been, you know, throwing more verbal bombs at the Irish than anyone in the last ten years. I don't think he's on anyone's uh, Christmas card list. Yeah, across the Irish <laughs> uh, we'll agree with that one. <laughs> and then, you know, just I think it's it's the week in week out sort of people sort of knock the Pro 14, um, but at the end of the day, it's you, you've got Welsh teams playing Irish provinces, mm. you know, week in week out, which. There's a lot of sort of Welsh rugby fans who'd like to play in the English clubs, but that's not the case, and we don't get as much of a rivalry them as anymore. So it's it's onto the Irish, and um, you know when when you spend that much time against them, and then Gatland saying what Gatland says, it, it's only natural that it's it's going to sort of head that way. 
Yeah. And do you think that uh, the Six Nations is going to be kind of be all end all for Gatland? It's his last one, but also, you know, he is the kind of guy who's going to look to his swan song at the World Cup. Um, you know, is like, is this the team that we're going to see at the World Cup go out and win a Six Nations and then go on to Japan? Or are we still experimenting and looking around for that extra player or two? Um, I think there'll still be a sort of sense of some combinations. Um you know, it's, it's test rugby and obviously you want to win. Um, but, the, you know, the be-all and end-all is the World Cup for Gatland. Uh, that's that's what he does. He he, he he makes teams peak for the World Cups. That's what he's done with Wales throughout his tenure. Um, so, obviously, we'd like to do well in the Six Nations. But, you know, three three uh, three away games and England and Ireland at home, we, we shouldn't be too disheartened if, you know, we pick up a couple, couple of losses in there and finish, say, fourth because, you know, that's, it's not the end of the journey. It's only the sort of process. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough year ahead. Look, it's something that we can look forward to anyway. And uh, let's hope both teams have something to play for when, when we meet in Cardiff um, come March. Uh, ben, thanks very much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Great stuff there. Ben James of Wales Online. Uh, Wales, um, you know, nine wins in a row, third in the world but happy with fourth in the Six Nations. I don't quite buy it. I don't mean to say that Ben's not being... I just don't buy that if that happens. I, I agree with the theory that if they did it, it should be okay. We're looking at a World Cup, but I kind of feel like there'll be a lot of disappointment if that's how what they turn this run into, even if it is with one eye in the World Cup. Yeah, especially when like when you expand your playing pool like that and you start recruiting a lot of players, like eventually you need to fine-tune that like you need to start okay who's your 9-10 combination what's your center too, combination yeah. so that's where the six nations comes into play so say for yeah. example like at 10 they've got a real conundrum because they've got three options there like Anscombe started at the weekend was really good but he's all over the place in terms of his kicking like he misses penalty missed the penalty into touch like that mm. didn't land there so then you've got somebody like bigger who can come on and close out a game or then you've also got Priestland so like that, that, that stuff that you can't like if you land into a Six Nations or to World Cup with three players, you don't know if you're, which one you're picking and then your 10 doesn't know. These are kind of relationships that need to be developed. Yeah, it's funny. I think everybody's tried different tactics over the years. Do you throw away the Six Nations as kind of a French thing to do maybe to kind of concentrate in the World Cup or do you, do you nail it and then possibly risk peaking too early, which I think is a little bit of a kind of a nonsense idea, to be honest. I think sometimes a team might be at their best you know, like Ireland were maybe in 2007 or, you know, yeah. um, before the World Cup. But there's nothing really much you could do about that, you know. And, and uh, like England had a disastrous last World Cup. We didn't think that was going to be the case going into it. But I don't know if throwing away the Six Nations to try and hope for the best, that's something that you just are ready to go having a year of not played together yeah, and, like, by next October is the way to, the way to do it either, you know. That extends to Ireland too, by the way. Like This idea that we, we devalue the Six Nations for yeah. the sake of, like you still, you still try and peak for Six Nations. Like You still take the tournament fully seriously. It's only like you, if you can fine-tune aspects. Like for example, it was the Six Nations where Ireland discovered that their best combination with O'Gara Humphreys was a 21-year-old O'Gara starting and Humphreys coming out to close out a game. Yeah. Similarly, like that's where I think Wales would go between Ascom and Bigger. Like Bigger come out to close out a game. That's that role. And that, that kind of stuff, a Six Nations is ideal to fine-tune that or yeah. even you know give Carberry some minutes like, he'll get a start against Italy, maybe even against Scotland or Wales. Like, yeah. he'd get, put him into one of those And aspects. also, the Six Nations is a bloody brilliant competition. Exactly. And it's 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 one of the most fun sporting months of the year, yeah. six weeks of the year, when we're all just, like, waiting for this all week and, and the clashes are brilliant and you watch the other games. And I love the Six Nations. And the idea that just because a World Cup 
which is six months after it, is every four years. It's like not as if once a year is that often. Yeah, <laughs> it's still a thing that I just like. I I don't like the idea of sacrificing it because of a World Cup to come. A World Cup, which let's face it, we want to win, and it would be the greatest thing in the history of nearly Irish sport if we did. But we're also unlikely to win it. You yeah. know, we can we focus on it. Let's do our best, but we can win a Six Nations and. You know, can we win two Grand Slams in a row? I don't know. We'd have to win in Cardiff and we'll have to, you know, beat England again and so on and so forth. There's a lot of things working against us. But, it's, you know, you would say we probably have a better chance than we should have had last year. Yeah. Like, the, the landscape has never been as competitive. Like, when, even you look at the World Rankings this morning, you see, like, we just spoke well about Wales. Like, the top three teams and two of them are from Six Nations. Three of them are from Six Nations if you go to top four, including England. Like, the, you see all of a sudden Fiji are in at eight. Like, the, this kind of new landscape yeah. what we see at rugby is a kind of... It's really encouraging in terms of the competitiveness and just sheer, you know, competition for yeah. these tournaments. Well, let's like look ahead then. We're 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 looking at the Six Nations through the guise of what have the just finished November internationals. We've talked about Wales. We see them as probably the biggest threats going into the Six Nations. They have a really tough schedule, as Ben talked about there. So we'll see what happens with them. England are obviously next. Yeah, they had a good November. Yeah, really good November. Like the. Like, you're talking about they probably should have beaten New Zealand absolutely hammered Australia albeit a contentious penalty there before half time that put yeah, that penalty try it's a different team. game yeah but and the like you you think of that this team that is trying to compensate for the likes of, like a loss of they can't compensate with Vinopola Vinopola but they've found somebody who's really good in Wilson who probably come in at their six uh, like but I, the only thing you, when you look at a team like England like the same frailties that they entered into November with and they entered into 2018 with are still there like they still have this in phenomenal reliance on a player like Owen Farrell. Like when he's not, the difference yeah. when he plays versus when he doesn't play. The dif- like the Owen Farrell, England without Owen Farrell lose to Japan. England with Owen Farrell are a totally different proposition, yeah. you know? Yeah. And there's still the question, talking about like unanswered questions there of whether it's Ford Farrell or whether it's Farrell and someone else, Teo or someone like yeah, that. Yeah, so I, like, I, I would always have the opinion that you pick your best players in their best positions. Yeah. Um, but in that scenario I'm going to portray my own like I think this thing of like, shoehorning a Toja or Laws like one of them in a six of this thing just play them both in the second row like you, yeah. you've got play someone like Wilson at six you don't need to be constantly kind of to puck people out and then you know fill your best gaps and then after that you move from there but in that scenario Ford can't boss a game the way Farrell can but he when he's beside him he becomes a lot much better player yeah. and if you're not going to if Eddie Jones is this seemingly you know intolerance for Danny Cipriani then it probably is the way to go you know you probably develop a game around that and let Ford become the pivot. So mm. then you've got two first ball receivers and all of a sudden the, the game kind of revolves on the two of them. Yeah. They've Ashton back yeah. in a bit of form. They've like There are positives for England. And I think none more so. Like Obviously the results are the main positive. But I think one of the biggest for me is that the Eddie Jones slide has been arrested. Yeah. So this sort of like, this was a full year since basically maybe a year and a half from losing the Lansdowne Road all the way up to kind of last summer where it just looked like things were just going wrong and England were going to really struggle. They like they were went from this guy who was winning Grand Slams and was going to bring him the World Cup to maybe we should get rid of this fella. And I think that what they really needed to happen before Japan was that Eddie Jones is just on the upward curve again and that they're, you know, that he's being thought of as a good coach and someone that has the respect of the players. Yeah, like the England have a phenomenal crop of players. Like they, like they we, really we, do. We, you yeah, can't yeah. like underestimate that. But Jones doesn't help himself. Like even now, when the thing is trying to come better, his comments for the Japan game. They just mm. you know that's gonna and he's stayed quiet people. for so long. Yeah, since the scummy Irish stuff. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> Which I felt he was, I have to say, right, this is just a, a mad aside, but I'm no fan of Eddie Jones. I I love when English coaches and English sports people make fools of themselves, especially at the expense of Ireland, and we can jump on it and stuff like that. I thought he was incredibly harshly treated about that. He made a crap joke that he looked for laughs for. Yeah. He wasn't calling anybody scummy. I get, like, I, the, it was a it, bad it, choice of word as he was saying, like, we were caught by the bloody Irish. Yeah. Yeah, that's but, all, that's all he was saying. Oh no, I want to agree with you, but I definitely don't think he helps himself. Like even I, I actually think his comments before the Japan game about like you know going to the temple and pray. Like the from hearing other journalists who are at that press conference speak, it sounds like he meant that as a joke. But it's like you you <laughs> need to the likes of Joe Schmidt or Steve Hansen never come up with those kind of comments. And that the, I know, but like you know. That's grand, but everybody doesn't need to be a robot either. Like you know I mean, there's nothing wrong with a bit of nuance in the world, and people refusing to see it is is that part of society's fault, not the person doing it. Yeah, I, and I get like well, I guess what I mean is by like, the consequence of some of those comments is like those comments are definitely something that Michael Leach will latch onto in a dressing room. Like they're, they're stuff that you you wrap around like this yeah, idea okay, that yeah, like, yeah. You, you don't. I think he could have framed that in a way that would still be helpful in terms of building up a game that I think. You know, was going to sell out anyway. Like there was no need to build up a rivalry yeah. as opposed to how it came about. Fair enough. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's Eddie Jones is always going to be Eddie Jones, and look, he's going to entertain us for at least the next year in one way or another. And look, if it all ends up in England's ultimate collapse in the World Cup, I don't think anybody's like we're we'll all laugh at it, you know. But um, <laughs> but like it is a good group of players, and you know the worry from Ireland's point of view leading into the Six Nations is that they are winning games again. They're winning games comfortably. Um, they were very unlucky against New Zealand, let's yeah. face it. Um, regardless of whether it was a right offside call or not, which it was, it was still very it was Marginal, very bad yeah. luck, yeah, um for them to lose the game. Um so England are definitely on the up. Last week we had a conversation about France being on the up. Then they go and lose to Fiji, which is probably the most French thing you of could possibly time, imagine. Yeah. yeah. And and in a scenario that was just you know, like typically French. I think the biggest takeaway from this weekend for me anyway is the evidence of good coaching when you look at teams. So you look at a team like Ireland who can make 14 changes between the New Zealand and the USA game and the defensive line doesn't change. Like they can yeah. see the lineup is still weak and it's been weak for the entire November International. They conceded two tries after the weekend. Yeah. But other than that, there was no break. It was, yeah. you know, up, make attackers, unbelievable organisation. You yeah. see somebody like Ringrose and how crucial he is to that, the, you know, that outside kind of sweeping movement as they come yeah. up. And Gatland then you look at and Edwards at Wales. Precisely, like, you know, yeah. No, that, that, that just is a defensive system that isn't breaking no, no matter and how much that You can interchange personnel, but it's, it's yeah. down to good coaching. And then you look at a team like France who are chaotic in the fence. Did he sent where, like, say the first try for uh, Semi Robodiris, the Bordeaux centre's try. So he, um, he like, so I, like, I know this, what happened there is both individual errors and also as a system failure. Mm, systematic, failures. yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. It's, And so the whole thing is chaotic. So what you have there is a defensive line who are, like, criminally overstacked on the short side and then have their matchups wrong on the other side, which was why you have a, 10 like Lopez trying to make a tackle on a centre when that should be Bastro like Bastro should be if that was properly organised man on man Bastro would make that tackle yeah. but because it's chaotic and you're just relying on instinct to make that tackle yeah. there's no, organis- there's no and o- silly overlaps and all kinds exactly. of things that just all point to a team that doesn't really know what they're doing they're, so th- they're, not, they're not set up for every eventuality the way you would hope Ireland are no, or that's New Zealand a, that's are a total system's are. failure like that is a li- a players not making tackles and a line that's not properly organised and mm. it no matter what happens, that kind of chaos will ultimately happen. Like you can have, you know, we, you can rely on your skill set as much as possible, and they have an unbelievable skill set. Like again, we go back to like that 
their 9, 10, 12, 13 channel there, which is Seren Lopez, Ficao Bastro, is phenomenally talented. You've got Teddy Thomas outside them. Yeah. But as a system, there's no overarching th- idea there. And so this is, like, you described it as typically friends. Like, is that exactly what it is? That this, yeah. this kind of thing is going to prevail because there's no sort of organization structure. We talked about Joe Schmidt there. I'm convinced that if Joe Schmidt went to France, they'd win the Six Nations. They have that kind of ability, but they have no organization to go with it. Yeah. Well, it's not going to happen, uh, thankfully. Uh, right. So we have France. We don't know what to expect from mm-hmm. the Mercurial French. It's it's mad that it's such a cliche, but it's so true. We talked about what we saw from them earlier on in 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 the month. We know that there's enough talent there that they can win any game. They're not coming to Dublin the way like the last two times they were in Dublin. I fully expected us to win and win comfortably. And I remember we won, I think it was like 15-9 or something like that the last time. And I remember getting a lot of stick for writing a kind of a, a piece on balls that kind of was like a job done for Ireland. Yeah. And it was like, we never beat France. And I was like, no, this is a sign of that we were just a much better team than them and we just did enough to win the game. It was it was actually, it was meant positively despite the, the stick I got for being yeah. negative, you know. But... I'm not sure that this is the same kind of nothing to offer French team that's coming this time, but we could also beat them by 25 points. And like, I, I would not be surprised if this French team, you know, make a tilt for the Six Nations or are in the running for the wooden spoon by the last weekend. Like, there, no, there's, that's, no, there's uh, yeah. no telling what this team. We would don't be. know what to expect from them. So that's England, Wales. We're kind of worried about France. We don't know about, and then Scotland and Italy are the other two teams. Look, Italy didn't make enough of an impact this year. There was some positives that we'll kind of, you know, that they will take, but they're not going to have any kind of say no. on the championship, especially when it comes to like Ireland or teams at the top. You know, maybe against uh, Scotland or something, they could do something. Scotland, I actually haven't, I am the clue about. Scotland are, are, have been coming now for 20 years. I've been waiting for that next level for them to get out of that fifth spot. Yeah. But are, they're still there. Like they. Um, have shown a lot of kind of attacking prowess and like some some really positive signs. Like they rang, they ran a kind of this new channel with Russell running at twelve, so they could fit in. You know this like a really attacking minded backline. But the, kind of the same frailties are still there. Like there's a lot of really encouraging signs for Scotland. They've got a guy Hamish Watson, their flanker, who I'm pretty sure in the last two games they played against Argentina and. Sorry, a bit of mic trouble then, there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> against Argentina and against South Africa he was the lightest forward on the pitch both times I think he was also the leading tackler I think mm. at 20 and 15 didn't miss one either time so I, like, we always talk about you know these little men quote and we talk about them in relation to backs and then you got a guy like Watson running at six and doing what he does but in saying that we're talking about overarching structures and yeah. I don't see that kind of same defensive ability they're really creative in what they're doing like I think Townsend has done some really good work there and Definitely. It's just that everybody, it, it, it's a bit of a rising yeah, tide with exactly the Six I'm Nations at the yeah, moment and yeah. they just can't get to that level. And it's because they probably just don't have enough players and enough rugby there, you know, with the two teams. I think it just does constantly kind of work against them, you know. Yeah. Um, and Edinburgh obviously aren't at their best at the moment. But where do they fit in then to this year? They can, they, they, they can win any game as well. They could beat England. They could beat Ireland in Murrayfield like they did a couple of years ago. Yeah. Like that could happen, but they're not going to win the championship. Like, they will take a huge amount of positives out of, you know, like the beating an Argentina team. An Argentina team that I think is going to drastically change. Like, I think they'll all of a sudden recall yeah. their... The, to take anything away from... And like, we spoke about the world rankings earlier. I think Argentina are a totally different prospect come a World Cup because <laughs> they're probably going to bring back in all these European-based players yeah. and it becomes... They become a different team. So I, Will they? Yeah, yeah. Because basically they're just the Jaguars at the moment. Yeah. That's a, so that's it's, what a, it's a club against, team that we're playing yeah, against. That's that what ran at the weekend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So, yeah, well, that'll be interesting. And we'll talk more about the Southern Hemisphere teams as it goes on. But um, how the Six Nations teams ranked over the course of November, we're probably looking at, and if that applies to the Six Nations, obviously fixtures aside, all different kind of um, variables, injuries that might come into it. We're probably looking at Ireland have to be number one. They beat the All Blacks. They win comfortably in every other game. It's Wales, England... And then it's you, Scotland probably ahead of France and then Italy, isn't it? I yeah, I mean, I mean, like, like I, 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 personally, I would probably put France above Scotland. I don't need that yeah. because they, they did lose to Fiji, though. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, 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 I totally understand. Like, yeah. like it's, it's, it's also a really weird takeaway from thing. Like, you look at France, who like comfortably better team and look far better, and then Scotland who struggled past them, and then but then at the same time you look at a team like Wales who are coming off nine wins beating Australia by three and then England and run up out the gate against Australia like the, to try and take away those kind of comparisons are probably not uh, feasible right yeah. now but England what, could be ahead of Wales what, what I would say is that France have far more ability than Scotland do like they, they, in terms of raw materials they've yeah. got, now we say that every year I, I understand that but there's been enough signs despite like the Fiji game result was, was amazing and intense shock but as an overarching thing like France France could have beaten Ireland this year Probably one of the closest to do so. Other than the the one game they did lose was against Australia. Mm. Like the if it wasn't for Sexton's or Oaks, they would have beaten Ireland this yeah. year. And then again, kind of beaten Argentina. Probably should have beaten South Africa. So like, I, I think there's enough signs that they are coming good. I'm not like I'm not I'm not willing to totally retreat yet. Mitch. One one of the points actually that you make about their coaching frailties and stuff like that is that France again it's traditional. You don't want to talk in 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 cliches or stereotypes, but they don't play down very well. They don't play. Like, you know, how many times have they lost or nearly lost to Italy in the Six Nations on years that they're nearly winning the bloody thing? They don't... I wonder if that... If they're playing Ireland, are those defensive structures in a lot better place because they're concentrating, they know what to do, whereas they're kind of like, look, we can beat these teams These teams standing up. We don't need to have discipline. It's a really bad sign for a rugby team. It's a really... It's, it's a thing that would make you think they can't win anything, but it doesn't mean they can't win a game. Yeah. And you know, so, so that... like, And that's the real worry is that with France is that... They have enough talent there and they probably have enough, you know, understanding of the game and tactics and everything like that that we're talking about that they can do it for a game and they could beat anybody. And like when we talk about chaos or, you know, that term, like it's not, you don't limit that to on-field stuff. Like you, you take stuff like a player like uh, Picamo or a player like Gail Fukawa and the difference in terms of their physique and fitness from moving from one club to another. So if, like Fukawa moves to Stade Francais, Paul O'Connell to Stade Francais, and suddenly he becomes a different player. Like yeah. he's a way leaner, way more explosive player. And that kind of dysfunctional relationship, like there's a clear benchmark in Ireland in terms of your level of fitness, like your, your level of conditioning that isn't in elsewhere. So when we're taking it in that terms, you, you've got to put it through the optics of that, the difference between these kind of... So, and that extends like right to the top level. And that kind of... Like, it's almost dysfunctional. That doesn't happen in places like Ireland. That doesn't yeah. happen in Wales anymore. They're, now they've got dual contracts. They've kind of really got... They're setting standards that are being extended down to clubs, and which is something Joe Schmidt really worked on. And it's on. why they can bring in 27 new players over the course of a year, year and, and a half. And you slot into a system, as yeah. we just spoke about earlier, like to kind of round off that conversation. Personnel can change, but the standards remain the same. That isn't true for France. No, definitely not. And look, there's lots of reasons for that. And we'll talk about plenty of them anon, but... 
that's our kind of look ahead to the Six Nations through the prism of the November Internationals. One other thing, that one other bit of business before we get to it, Morris has been running a rolling team of the November Internationals over the four weeks or the three weeks of the, of the show so far. We have a final team. We had, I, I don't know, I think you've made five changes, four changes? Um, five. Um, so let's uh, let's run through it. A lot of Irish lads have survived. No new Irish guys in after no. a, a USA win, but... Um, Rattle through it there. Just so really quickly, uh, Keen Healy stays. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, Cody Taylor is out at hooker because of Gilmore Gardo. I know it's like my, that. My strike is odd yeah, to see a French, French guy going in. But when you think about uh, the fact that he scored three tries in the last two games and probably France play, best player in both games, I think it's pretty yeah. obvious that he's the main takeaway. Um, so Gerardo, um along with Healy and Furlong in the front yeah, row. Yeah. So I mean, Furlong's main competition. Uh, Kyle Sinclair, I think, was phenomenal at the weekend. But Sinclair. Well, he, everything he does, which is really, really good in the loose, he doesn't bring to his set piece. Like he's still a, he's only an okay scrummager. Like Australia's front five is all over the place, yeah. and you see what's happening in New Zealand versus a guy like Furlong, what he did against New Zealand. Yeah, um, Devon Toner is out. That's like Poor seems Dev. unbelievably, but yeah, it seems unbelievably harsh. That's down to game time, and also you got to think about like Lou Nakamura, the octopus as we know him, the racing lock. You got to yeah. take that in context. This of, is Fiji's uh, sole representative on yeah, the team. Yeah, yeah. You got to take that in context of a guy like uh, whoever watched Fiji and Scotland. Scotland ran in fifty-four points that day, and yet the number one tackler on the pitch was Nakamura because he didn't miss one. He's sixteen. Like he's you've to take it in context of what he's playing with and how he is playing. Yeah. So you also look at that ridiculous offload he gave for Fiji's second try at the weekend. So I think. Uh, yeah. I think that's probably fair enough. We might talk a bit about Fiji over the course of the next kind of quieter few weeks. As we sort of head into the to the the sort of Champions Cup time, as we kind of still look ahead to the World Cup, because incredibly fascinating rugby country, and it's great to see that they did get that win. Yeah. We haven't had time to really talk about it properly, except for through the eyes of France, who are a more immediate prospect for yeah. us at the moment. But um, James Ryan stays in. That's self-explanatory. Yeah, Peter Mahoney. That's self-explanatory. Josh van der Fleer comes out. Um, Josh van der Fleer comes in. That's because. The only thing I'm putting that down to is Tripic, this is his third game when he has won two man matches. I think he should have won it at the weekend as well. He was incredible. He's as when you chart what you would want from a seven, like you're robotic, you're just next open side. That is just in Tripic. Like his, yeah. in terms of his work and it, it's not only like I think we can kind of come assess with, you know, this like this tackle rate, but his from like this phenomenal work on the ground and it, you know, his ability to chart runs, so like his support running is incredible. Like he's he's like um an extra back at times, what he what he brings to that Welsh team, and you you're talking about a, a guy who's been an understudy to Warbner for so long, and now comes in and blossoms like this. And we touched on their back row strengths earlier today. Like you've got a guy we spoke about Ross Moriarty as well, like Ross Moriarty, and then a guy like Turpric, and then a guy like um Ellis Jenkins, and that means Dan Lidette is on the bench when you can yeah. those three like that. That's Dan idiot who Paul O'Connell called the best tackler that he's ever come across, and actually someone who when he was on a Lions tour with him said that he improved him massively as a player just because of how great a tackler he is. And when you think about that, for example, it's just and it's He was incredible. down at the start at the weekend. Jenkins, mm. like, Jen, who spoke Jenkins only came in after that. So uh, they've got, like, we spoke about yeah. our on a thing here. They've got a similar thing. So I think people will see this and go, one Wales player, and they won all their games. And that's really fair. And Tipperick yeah. definitely deserves to be in it, and I won't argue with it. But there is a kind of a sense of then is that that almost suggests to me that you know, if you're looking at this fairly, which I think you are, is that like it's a it's been a wide ranging good performance from Wales. It's like everybody has their part to play, and maybe Tipperick has stood out more than anybody else. But and but there's a few, like a lot of players who uh, you kind of in terms of weighing up 
positions who came into the reckoning. Like we spoke about Adam and Jones, he's definitely run, was in the running for the lock. He's just up against two incredible operators over. And we're, again, we're talking about over kind of three, four games. Yeah, Jonathan like, Davis. Uh, Jonathan Davis has been phenomenal. He was actually in at the start. Uh, George yeah. North has been really, really good going forward. I just thought defensively, especially the was it Creel's try that wasn't a try going up the touchdown there. I thought his tackling was really weak there defensively. Yeah. But the, like there's a case for it's all well thought out folks. <laughs> <laughs> he actually considers all these things. I'm just looking at it going, where are the bloody <laughs> Wales players, Morris? Um, uh, you've got rid of Pocock at eight. Yeah. At last. Pocock's been in there since week one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, that's like Mark Wilson, two really phenomenal games against Australia and New Zealand. When you're talking about trying to fill Vinopolo's shoes, I think he's actually forced his way into that back row now, which yeah. is no mean feat. The only um, English player on the team. Then the only French players at nine still, Seren. Uh, so, so, yeah, so Seren, again, goal kicking. Nine has been a weird one. Like I, I was looking across it. Ben Young said his last two games, he's actually been pretty good. Oh, sorry, good. not the only French player. I forgot about Garado. Garado's just came in now, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, so like his, I, I think what Seren brings in terms of his goal kicking is great, but I don't think he's necessarily a fantastic player. But it's just in terms of the standard he's been judged against. Like I, You try and look at players like Genia, who's made his 100 appearance at the weekend's. But again, it didn't really work out. Mm. Uh, ben Youngs has only been all right for the last two weeks. Ireland have been chopping and changing at yeah. nine. That's been happening across the board. Smith's not at his best. No. I think uh, that's he, fair enough. I think that's a straightforward one. I think Youngs might be the next kind of guy in line there. Probably, um, yeah. You're looking at Pollard. I think you've kind of explained yeah, I, I, his positioning I think he, in there He's been already. the best nine over four, uh, ten over four games. I know he missed that conversion but out wide at the weekend. But overall, I think he's been the best. Stockdale, I think that is also self-explanatory. Yeah. Um, Bundiaki and Ringrose, like Ringrose is probably in the most competitive position in terms of you look at a guy like Sammy Radira, who we just spoke about for Fiji, and he's a steamrolling guy. Like he, yeah, he's a ball huge man. He's, yeah, phenomenal. And also, like this is the Bordeaux center we're speaking about, and uh, like in terms of he shows enough variance so that he's not predictable. You know, so like he he'll throw it out the back door. He'll throw it th- sometimes you got a player coming on his inside line, he throws it off there, so he's got a winger coming off the outside, and then also you just watch and yeah. he can do what he did for his try, which is like literally just flatline a guy. Like he, he picks a guy in his br- and that when you've got a guy like Bastro who's slightly immobile at thirteen, and you've got a guy as explosive like that as his opposite number, it gives you kind of real options there. That's it. they've got a. But he doesn't make line. it. Ringrose stays yeah, in. Yeah, stays, so yeah. for all that. Um, <laughs> second wing, you've rep- you, Johnny May has been trying his best to get into this team. I think he was in at the first week at eleven. Uh, yeah, you've now put him in at fourteen. So, he's he's in for Seymour. I think S- that's fair S- enough. Seymour didn't play at the weekend. Yeah. Uh, Maitland was really good, but in terms of as know, Johnny May's got another try at the weekend. In terms of overall weekend, I think he probably deserves to be in there. And Stuart Hogg. Without him, I think they probably would have lost. He made the break for the penalty in the first yeah. half and also set up the try. So uh, he stays as well. Okay, well, that is the team of the internationals. You'll be able to read about that on balls.ie um, during the week, along with more of Morris's explanations that I was cutting him off for, for a lot of those <laughs> ones. But um, that is all we have time for. It, it's the end of the November internationals in which Ireland won uh, four out of four. They beat the All Blacks for the second time in their history, the first ever time in Dublin. The weekend finished with uh, Ireland winning World Team of the Year, Joe Schmidt winning World Coach of the Year, and Johnny Sexton winning World Player of the Year. Things can't get much better for Irish rugby. And then we wake up this morning to the news that Joe Schmidt is unfortunately stepping down as Irish coach um, at the end of the year. So possibly a sad day. But Andy Farrell is going to take over. The succession line is steady. And we've got two more big competitions, the Six Nations and a World Cup with Joe at the helm. So maybe all things aren't all that bad. That's for you to decide. Let us know how you feel. Get in contact with us on Twitter, at Balls.ie, or anywhere else, really. We're easy to find. Um, We'll chat to you next Monday. Until then, take it easy.